Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Acts chapter 9 is where we're at this evening. Acts chapter 9, continuing to work through one of my favorite books in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And one of the reason it is one of my favorites is in its name, Acts, action. I like, I like books about action and seeing how God working in the early church here. After uh, breaking into the scene in Acts chapter 4, the man we're going to look at tonight, Barnabas, disappeared for five chapters. Now we see him again in chapter 9 where we're at uh, as the man who introduced Saul, who would later be Paul, to the apostles. He gained acceptance for Paul or Saul in Jerusalem. And for this, we owe him our gratitude. And I want to focus for a few minutes tonight on this man named Barnabas. So I'm only going to read two verses tonight. Acts chapter 9, verse number 26 and 27. Look at some other passages as well, but we'll start with this. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. He had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. I want to talk tonight about Barnabas, a true friend. Father, I pray you'd help us in these moments we have together. Encourage us to be an encourager like Barnabas was in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not a fan of hypotheticals. I've said that before. But once in a while, just to uh, help us to understand the situation, it might uh, help us. But imagine the, if Barnabas had not stepped in here. Suppose that Saul had approached this group and not been accepted by the Christians in Jerusalem, being rejected by all. Suppose the apostles refused to believe that he was sincere. Suppose that Peter would have preached against him as a wolf in sheep's clothing. What would have happened to Saul? Well, we don't know. Like I said, not a big fan of hypotheticals, but I'm grateful that didn't happen. Uh, He could have gotten frustrated, started his own church, and worse still, he could have went back to the Pharisees, denouncing the church as a sham because they preached love but practiced hate. Think of the church and what it would have lost without Paul. No letters, no missionary journeys. And Barnabas is the link to this chain. He's the one that connected Saul to the apostles. And this episode, I believe, shows Barnabas, Barnabas's true character as an encourager. Look at a few things about Barnabas, first of all, as the advocate. Now, in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 36, he's called the son of consolation. Uh, The original uh, words translated to son of consolation is huos parakalesis, I think. (laughs) It's one who is called alongside. It's translated, the same words are translated in 1 John 2.1 as advocate. When the Bible tells us we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Same word, Barnabas, son of consolation, Jesus Christ our advocate. Barnabas was an advocate. Here he was Paul's advocate. He literally came alongside him to speak in his defense. As Christ is our advocate in heaven, Barnabas was what was Paul's or Saul's advocate here in Jerusalem. What a Christ-like man that Barnabas was. Now, I want to just kind of follow the story in sequence. Might be a little review in here for us, but as we go through the sequence and help us understand where Barnabas was, what his mindset was, 
Several years has passed since Barnabas sold his land. We know if we go back to the beginning of the book of Acts, in, uh, in Acts chapter 5, uh, we, we find, or Acts chapter 4 and 5, we learn that Barnabas had sold the land, given the money to the church. A couple of people watched all the uh, accolades that he got from the church, and they wanted some of it, Ananias and Sapphira. And Acts chapter 5 uh, records that story, that Ananias and Sapphira sold their land but kept back some of it, but lied to the Holy Ghost about what they gave. They were instantly killed by the Holy Spirit. And not surprisingly, the Bible tells us in Acts 5.11, great fear came upon the church. Now I can imagine, if we pulled a couple of people up here tonight and the Holy Spirit struck them dead, uh, great fear would come upon our church as well. That's a pretty natural thing. Uh, but the church went from strength to strength. And the Bible tells us in Acts 5, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and that they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. The Bible tells us that believers were then more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. So this was the spiritual atmosphere in which Barnabas is introduced and had lived. All of us, to some extent, are a result of our spiritual atmosphere. I think we can all see that, the church we were raised in and how uh, the families we were raised in. And so at a time of revival, even the weakest believers can be prayer warriors and are on fire for God. On the other hand, in uh, times of spiritual drought, often young believers will learn or think that worldliness is acceptable, uh, that occasional church attendance is sufficient, that only minimal effort is required for the Lord. But Barnabas was different. He was a spiritual leader. Barnabas set the example. And we need to be aware of the influence of our spiritual environment and if necessary, rise above it. That's why our, our, uh, our lead and guide in life should be the Word of God, not just our church and our spiritual environment. The Word of God should be what leads us. And we also need to be aware of our influence on others. We should always seek to set a good example. Uh, Paul said this later in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so uh, he had an influence. We're going to see it here in a minute. Uh, but then uh, back to our timeline. So Barnabas, this, this happened with Ananias and Sapphira. People were being added to the church. And then we see persecution come. Opposition arose. It always does, by the way. Whenever God's at work, Satan's going to show up. And he's going to try to get in the way. He's going to try to throw down stumbling blocks. He's going to try to put up roadblocks. The, the apostles were imprisoned by Jewish authorities. And this must have sent a shock throughout the church. But God delivered them. Remember an angel opened the doors, and uh, the prison doors, and delivered them. They were arrested again. And then they were told not to preach again. This is when Peter gave those famous words, we ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. We see a few churches doing that today in our day and age who are being told not to meet. By the way, you pray for those churches uh, that we see, and I'm sure you're following some of them on Facebook, uh, that the government is trying to shut down. And praise God for pastors that will stand and use that verse right there, we ought to obey God rather than men. As far as we know, Barnabas was not involved in these incidents, but he would have been watching, he would have been praying, he would have been learning boldness that we see later. And then after this, a new challenge arose. The increasing demands of ministry as the church was growing uh, the, the, uh, resulted in seven deacons being appointed. Barnabas might have made an excellent choice for deacon, 
but God had other plans for him. He was not chosen. But again, he must have been learning from what he saw. In Acts, uh, we find him doing the work of a deacon, bringing gifts for the poor from Antioch to Jerusalem. Uh, didn't matter, he didn't have the title, he did the work anyway. By the way, let me encourage you, you don't have to have a title to do the work for God, amen? You don't have to have some kind of fancy carpet rolled out for you to get busy for God. Just do the work. In fact, at Bible Baptist, we make special attention. We don't, we don't uh, uh, choose men for deacons for, as an example so that they can begin a ministry for God. We choose men who are already doing the work, who are already involved, who are already faithful and doing the work. It doesn't mean, uh, and they'll be the first to tell you, just because they have that title doesn't mean that uh, they are alone set apart and nobody else can get involved. All of us need to get involved in the work of God. Barnabas didn't let a title stop him from serving God, so, or a lack thereof. So meanwhile, the church continued to grow. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Even priests were getting saved. And then the storm broke. Saul appears on the scene. One of the deacons, Stephen, was also a mighty preacher. He faced the wrath of the synagogue. He was brought before the Sanhedrin. In all likelihood, Saul sat among them. We don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but Saul very well may have questioned him, argued with him, and had words with Stephen. Acts chapter 7 ends with Stephen being stoned, and in chapter 7, verse 58, the Bible says that the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. That's the first time he appeared. But from then on, he takes the center stage as the number one enemy of the Christian movement. Vicious persecution began. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Talk about Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And verse 3, as, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Now, presumably, because of these scattering, uh, verse, verse 1 ends with all were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So presumably, Barnabas also left. But God had his hand on Saul. In Acts chapter 9, we read of his dramatic conversion. We've actually spent several weeks talking about it uh, on the road to Damascus, that uh, bright light that appeared before him, and then those words, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The voice of Jesus Christ himself, blinded by the light, he's led into the city. Three days later, Ananias came to heal him and baptize him and tell him of his future mission. And then immediately Saul begins preaching. Now, people may have, must have wondered, is this genuine? Or is this some kind of elaborate trick? The church in Damascus did accept him in good faith. Uh, eventually, the Jews, which were Saul's old buddies, uh, also realized that he really changed, and they started to plot to kill him. He had to be sneaked, uh, snuck. Uh, he had to slink out of the city, being let down in a basket outside of the, uh, th through a window out the wall. And uh, so, uh, had, then, this is when he came to Jerusalem, not immediately. We know, according to what the Bible says in Galatians, he spent three years, but then he came to Jerusalem. Naturally, Saul would try to join to the apostles in Jerusalem. Obviously, not all the disciples had been scattered. Uh, the apostles were still there. And so Saul goes to try to join with this church in Jerusalem. What an example for us to seek out fellowship wherever we go. 
it was a brave decision for Saul, but think about the humbling decision for Saul it would have been. This was those he was persecuting. This was those that he, many lives he destroyed. And now he wanted to join them. It would have been a tremendously humbling uh, decision on his part. After all that had happened, he would have some apologizing to do, amen, when he showed up at that church. But what a sweet time it would be. The terrorist saved meeting the redeemed. What a great example and a great time to demonstrate the tremendous grace of God. But alas, that was not to be. The Bible says they didn't want him. They didn't believe him. They were not prepared to welcome Saul. He is saved to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Again, I, I want to stress, this is understandable. Uh, and now, they had heard he was converted, but most would think that this man could never be converted. Isn't it strange how we limit the grace of God sometimes? Thinking we know who can and who won't and who will be saved. This had to be a trick. He had to be in trying to infiltrate the church, find out where they lived. He would be a wolf in sheep's clothing. And uh, you can't blame him, but it's still sad. How frustrating it must have been for Saul. They had accepted him in Damascus, but now these believers in Jerusalem, uh, they, 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 by the way, in Damascus, they never experienced persecution from Saul. Here they did. So it's even more understandable they wouldn't want to have anything to do with him. They were suspicious. And this is where we have Barnabas enter the scene. Barnabas was prepared to accept Saul. He was a man with a loving heart. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He was the type of guy that Paul would later write about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. This was the type of guy that Barnabas was. He even dared to hope that Saul had been converted. Now there's no indication that Barnabas had previously known Saul other than by his reputation, and by that, he certainly would have known Saul. Everybody in the Christian circles knew who Saul was. But he had listened to his story. He was ready to give him a chance. Not only that, Barnabas puts his own name on the line. Verse 27 again. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. He persuaded them to accept Saul. He told them what Christ had done for Saul, how he had seen the Lord in the way, how he had spoken to him. He told them what Saul had done for Christ, how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Again, Paul completes the story in Galatians. He tells us that three years had passed between his conversion and his first visit to Jerusalem. And here is where he was finally accepted into the fellowship. In Acts chapter 9, verses 28, uh, follow with me there. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Now, what are we to learn from this? Well, number one, we ought to be a welcoming church, amen? We ought to welcome anybody that uh, would be a convert to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to want and welcome and desire for people to come through those doors and work to bring people in. This week, one of our members uh, has actually been working quite a while on inviting a new person to, ch or a person to church. And finally, today, this person came to church. 
I received this text. Now, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read a part of it. Uh, this is me. I want to thank you for doing what you do. I had an amazingly wonderful time today. Thanks to so-and-so for inviting me. I finally found the right church, and this is exactly what I've needed and have been looking for. I've been smiling ear to ear since I left, so thank you. I'll see you next Sunday, same time, same place. That makes you want to just do a little hallelujah dance, doesn't it? Uh, Praise the Lord for that. And it wasn't the fancy oratory from the pulpit. It was God's people showing love to, to, to people that come through the door. We ought to be a welcoming church. We ought to desire to reach people for the gospel. We ought to want more people. Than, by the way, you know if everybody looks the same at church, there's a problem. <laughs> there ought to be some people that don't know how to dress. There ought to be. In fact, I had somebody call me yesterday. I want to come to church tomorrow. What kind of clothes do I need to wear? And I said, well, at Bible Baptist Church, we do want you to wear clothes. That's a, that's a per- parameter. That's something we want. Other than that, you just come. We just want to see you. Amen. We ought to welcome people. Uh, but we, and, and, of course, we have to be careful. Before this wonderful couple this morning was, uh, was, uh, was brought in for baptism and they, they talked to the deacons and they gave their, you know, we do question them. We uh, talk to people who join our church. Uh, we want to have converted people. Uh, church leaders have a responsibility to protect the flock. But, uh, and we also need to protect people from self-deception. There's been many times, the deacons will attest, we've got people that come in for baptism or to join the church and once we talk to them, they realize they've never been truly converted or they've never been biblically baptized. And so uh, there's a reason that we do those things. Uh, And for their own sake, we need to show them their need. But here we have a man who was genuinely converted. Uh, There was a need here for generosity of spirit and openness of heart. We ought to be ready to believe the unbelievable and ready to accept that even this man, Saul, can be saved. We ought to be a welcoming church. Barnabas was ready to make that leap of faith. This was one of the qualities that he would lead, uh, need later as a missionary. It took faith that believe, to believe that the Gentiles of Cyprus and Asia Minor could become Christians. By the way, there were people even in Jerusalem that didn't believe that was possible. But a man who saw a Pharisee converted could also hope for the conversion of the Gentiles. In other words, Barnabas believed Anybody could get saved. Amen. We ought to have that same belief. Don't ever think, I shouldn't witness to them or I shouldn't give them a gospel track because there's no hope for them. There's hope for everybody who's breathing today. And uh, Barnabas believed it. If Saul was converted, he should be welcomed. It was as simple as that. This uh, was said of Jesus. If you remember in Luke chapter 15, 15, verse 2, they said it of Jesus, this man receiveth sinners. Hallelujah. I praise the Lord that he does. That's how he received me, and that's how he received you, amen? So I'm grateful that he does. And by the way, can we do any less? I think not. Paul said in Romans 15, 7, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us uh, to the glory of God. Secondly, we need, to dis- we need discernment to know when somebody is saved. I believe Barnabas had that discernment. He was convinced of the conversion of Saul despite the skepticism of others. And this was not just wishful thinking. He considered the evidence. He recognized God's work in Saul's life. He saw the change. He had seen what others were unable or perhaps unwilling to see in Saul. I mean, Christians are no better than other people sometimes in 
after all that Saul had done, they were probably as willing to see him killed as getting saved. <laughs> but uh, not Barnabas. As much in the church today, we can be cautious about but how often are we suspicious and skeptical when we ought to be rejoicing? How often are we negative and critical when we ought to be praising God? How often are we doubtful when we ought to be amazed at what God is doing? We need spiritual discernment, but let's not be spiritually cynical. Amen? Let's be, uh, trust God to use it. And then we have a great lesson in true friendship here. Uh, here was Saul. And you have to kind of think like Saul would be thinking. Lonely, rejected, don't forget, his lifelong friends are trying to kill him. He had to escape from his longtime associates and friends. He has no friends anymore. We, we find later that he sacrificed everything we can assume. That includes his family uh, to go to Christ. He needed a friend. Barnabas was there. Barnabas stood by him. Barnabas accepted him, believed him. Barnabas was willing to take risks for him. Was it a risk? Yes, it was a risk. The apostles could easily have not only rejected Saul, but rejected Barnabas as well. They could have laughed at him for his naivete. They could have blackballed both of them, but uh, they uh, or accused him of being an infiltrator, led astray by Saul. He put his own reputation on the line. But that's what friends do. He shows the character of Christ in this, who's the friend of the sinner. Christ is the friend indeed who will stand by us in our hour of need. And that's what Barnabas did for Saul. Can we be that friend to someone? I mean, I challenge you to do that. Like Barnabas, just be that friend to someone. Someone that needs an arm around their shoulder. Somebody to lift them up, get them back in the race, help them along the way. We see finally also the power of persuasion here. Barnabas argued Saul's case and persuaded the apostles to accept him. Now, given the case against Saul, this would not be an easy task. But that's an advocate's job, to plead the cl uh, client's case no matter how difficult it may be. Again, here we see the character of Christ shining through. Christ is our advocate, pleading for us with the Father. Here is Barnabas, same word, an advocate. A true disciple of Christ doing the same for Saul. And I just challenge you tonight, would you do the same for someone else? Are we welcoming uh, people of all, uh, of all nationalities, of all stripes, of all flavor, of all sinful background? You could not find a person worse than Saul, and yet uh, Barnabas said, hey, God's changed him. We're going to accept him. We're going to bring him into our midst. Are we quick to accept God's work in other people. Sometimes I think as Christians, we get a bit curmudgeon. We uh, stand back. You're going to have to prove yourself for a while before we can accept you. Now, of course, uh, again, we need to have discernment. There's things that we don't put people in certain positions, but we ought to love on people. Amen? Just love on people. Encourage them to move forward in their Christian life. And if God's done a work on them, uh, let's help them along. How many times... Has, the, has there been Saul's in the world that God has saved and when they come to the church, they don't want to have anything to do with them? That's a sad thing and I certainly don't want that to be the, the case here. Amen? Let's be like Barnabas. And uh, I, don't, I don't like to, I don't want to ever put the apostles down, but in this situation, 
Let's not be like Peter and James were, who didn't want to have anything to do with them. Barnabas did. Must be a Barnabas. Father, we thank you.